Wonder Things Studios proudly presents Archivos Insights, conversations with today's storytellers. You've tuned in to the Archivos Podcast Network. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Michael R. Underwood. And you've tuned in to Archivos Insights. Archivos Insights is where we travel up the genre mountain to train with master storytellers and learn the lessons they have to share with their fellow writers. Outstanding. I love it. I love it. Yes, I I, I get that sense of, of the kung fu masters or or the great the great yogis of, of old. Uh, I am down with that. Friends, uh, as you notice, once again, our, our dear friend and customary co-host Marie Bilodeau is still out convalescing from her recent engagement with the medical industries. Uh, I can tell you from from firsthand reports, she is on the mend and doing extremely well and is eager to return once more to the Archivos Virtual Studios. But a special treat uh, uh, in in her absence, uh, a veteran of these studios who has been on as co-host and guest host. I think the only thing you haven't done, Michael, is is been a guest writer and pitched a story. Uh, Dear friends, welcoming back to the studio, Michael R. Underwood. Dude, thank you so much, man. It's been too long since we've ridden the the, the internet literary ways, and I'm, I'm glad you were able to make the time. Well, thanks so much for having me back on. I think after I appear as a guest writer, I will have to then later appear as Dave Robison. <laughs> probably, in, probably involves growing a mustache and borrowing your hat. We'll, we'll, we'll wait on that. <laughs> I fully support this agenda. I think this should happen. <laughs> Uh, we'll have to go video at that point because that there's a visual there that, that our fans will just absolutely have to hear. I love it. I love it. Well, Michael, uh, uh, let, let's get into the business at hand here. Uh, and that is uh, a conversation with an astonishing storyteller. Um, friends, this isn't our guest host's first visit to the Archivos Virtual Studios, you can dial the Wayback Machine to 2012 uh, to hear her wax rhapsodic on writerly matters uh, and experience her brainstorming chops back in episode 22. Holy crap. Uh, Now... Guys, it's my habit when we welcome hosts back to the show to listen to those older episodes to make sure we're covering new ground and staying fresh. Uh, And honestly, I usually listen to those things with half an ear. I mean, I was there, right? The memories kick in, I get reconnected, yada, yada. This time, I found myself totally engaged. Again, there's something about our guest host that is compelling and authentic, something that transcends genre or medium. And part of that is the fact that her facility with the storyteller's craft also transcends genre and medium. For example, uh, I just invested many hours of my life uh, after discovering her The Best Thing webcomic over at thrillbent.com. Uh, and it's, it's not just words and pictures. Uh, the series embodies this deep understanding of not just the subject matter, which is an exploration of, of the magical girl genre, uh, but also the format through which the story is told and the context by which the story has relevance. It's astonishing. And that kind of mastery is deeply comforting to me as a reader. I mean, I feel like a lot of times when I read, I'm in a kind of clenched 
mode. I'm, I'm waiting for some literary misstep or, or perceptual incongruity to knock me out of the story. That doesn't happen when you experience our guest host's work. She earns your trust quickly, and you find yourself relaxing and then leaning forward eagerly into her stories. Now, how'd she get that good? Well, I think that's the wrong question. I think a better question is why did she get that good? And that is an easy one to answer. She loves storytelling. It's hardwired into her DNA. It's in her cornflakes. It has infused her corneas and the rods and cones of her eyes, and it coats her lungs like a 50-year-old two-pack-a-day smoker. Uh, it's her language. It's how she communes with reality. To wax Campbellian for a moment, it's her bliss. And when you find your true bliss, then it's no longer a question of finding your path in the world, but rather choosing which of the myriad paths before you to take. Now, of course, there are those rumors that she's actually an alien hive mind, uh, and those should not be discounted. But in the absence of tangible proof, let's focus on the facts. Facts like in 2013, she became the first person ever to appear five times on the same Hugo ballot. Let's focus on the fact that she currently has six books available for pre-order on Amazon. There are six books done, queued up, and ready to release over the next year on Amazon right now. Friends, there is a very strong sense after listening to her uh, episode from 2012 that she is being chased by her own mortality, uh, striving always to get all the stories inside her out into the world before the Grim Reaper plucks her final string. She is a literary Sisyphus pushing story boulders up a hill over and over again, but fortunately for us... Those stories then roll down the other side and into our hearts and imaginations. Dear friends, it is with great pleasure and no small amount of giddy delight that I welcome back to the Archivos Virtual Studios, Seanan McGuire. Seanan, I, I, I know what a huge and busy thing your schedule is. I know that you actually have to bend space and time to make all of that happen. So the fact that you're here with us right now is, is a huge gift. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. I always enjoy you. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. And the feeling is very, very mutual. Uh, very mutual. Um, I'm just going to hit the, the marker, Sean. And I, that was an actual, a much shorter intro than I usually give. Uh, so uh, I'm going to actually extend our time together <laughs> just so okay. uh, we can we can fill out 20 plus minutes of conversation. And I'm going to start us off. Sean, during that conversation we had, uh, oh, my God, five years ago or more. Right. Um, you said something that that literally informed how I perceive the storytelling craft. You talked about how the novels that you were writing now and the novels you were getting ready to write were in preparation for novels that you weren't ready to yet, but that you wanted to. And one of those novels was Nativity of Chance, which I saw recently. You just wrapped up. Is that correct? Uh, it's called Middle Game now, and it's going to be coming out from Tor.com Publishing in, I believe, 2019. Bam. So, and, and then after that, there was Cathedrals. You were preparing for this next novel. Is that still on your radar? 
that's still on the list. Um, it has it, everything gets moved around. Everything is is malleable, uh, and I still very much want to write it. And I think I'm good enough now. I just have to find a slot for it. Okay. Well, that prompts me to ask uh, uh, one of those squishy questions that that probably has no true answer. Um, mm-hmm. But your approach to your craft uh, is obviously this long extended uh, uh, not agenda certainly but you are planning multiple novels multiple comics multiple stories ahead and first of all that my first question is is there a master folder somewhere that has the Seanan Maguire uh, uh, map to world domination laid out or is this something that is being built on a day-by-day basis kind of both i have the file where i keep this is the stuff i want to do um this is the stuff that is going to have to fit around other things and uh, i'm really bad at updating it so sometimes i surprise (laughs) myself and then i have the well i've got 15 minutes what can i do and you know the world always changes things you know the wayward children's books that i'm doing with tour.com which are gloriously taking up a lot of my time right now. Uh, they were not on any of the charts. And that was literally a matter of Lee Harris, who is my editor at tour.com, uh, contacted my agent, said, we're launching this new line and we'd like Shannon, uh, and she can do whatever she wants. <laughs> Which is I, always a dangerous I, phrase. I, I think that's kind of the definition of making it, Sean. And when, when an editor says, we want her, give her free reign. Well, they also didn't pay me, so <laughs> I, I think that was uh, was also a, if we don't give her something, she's just going to look at us funny and then wander off. <laughs> well, so it is probably a, a combination of both. And, and of course, yeah. it's evolving as you go. Can you walk us through what it was about uh, then Nativity of Chance, now Middle Game? What was it about that book that, you know, Shannon of 2012 was not prepared to write? And what steps, what specific, uh, specific benchmarks along the way that prepared you for creating that? So Middle Game is is kind of my time travel novel. Uh, we like to joke when we're trying to explain it to people that it's all about superheroes, only it's also all about alchemy, all, only it's also all about Pythagorean philosophy. Also, it's, um, you know, it's, it's not a very straightforward book. And it required me to keep track of something like 17 timelines and multiple contradictory versions of the same characters. Wow. It is it is the butterfly effect as a novel uh, in a very real way. And so the reason that, you know, Shannon of 2012 was not ready for that is that the more you do, the better you become. E- even if you are completely workmanlike, you, you're just absolutely going A, B, C, A, B, C, you're going to get better the more that you follow that A, B, C path. Well, in this case... I had a kind of sense of how to put the timelines together, but I was not yet good enough at articulating things that I didn't have to beat people over the head with them. And you don't want to have to say when you're dealing with something that complicated, you don't have to stop every three paragraphs and go, okay, look, I left the pipe in the dining room because that's the murder (laughs) weapon. You just want to be able to put the pipe in the dining room and trust that you have made it clear to your readers that that's going to be the murder weapon and that your readers will follow you. 
How many drafts did this go through, go through, Sean? And it sounds like an incredibly complex story and requiring a great deal of trust on your part that you know, the reader is tracking with you and following all these disparate uh, twists and turns of story. Yeah, we, we like to joke that it's a Tim Powers novel that somehow wound up in the wrong head. Um, and that's that's not completely wrong. Uh, it went through about six drafts before we sent it out to editors. And uh, by that point, it was very clear what I was trying to do and that I had taken it as far as I could without a firm editorial eye. Uh, and we just hoped that, that that was far enough that it would be looked at by the editors we were sending it to. And they would go, oh, OK, yeah, I want to take this the rest of the way to the finish line. Um, and then it's it's gone through two more drafts since then. Uh, actually, while I was waiting for our podcast to start this morning, I was working on uh, the next draft that's going back to my editor. So right now I'm going through and processing all of his changes, making his cuts. And when I'm done with that, I'm going to go through and insert some new scenes to clarify the things that he had trouble with. And then we'll move on from there. Uh, so I'm going to say it'll be about an 18. It'll be about a 1920 book draft book when it's completely done. Wow. And wow. that that is honestly better than I thought. Because <laughs> um, it, it was never a very straightforward concept. What is it about this story that stayed on your radar for so long? I mean, we've 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 established through other interviews on this show that it's those stories that linger in your imagination that get the green light to actually have words applied to them. And this has been on your radar for quite literally years, bordering on a decade. What is it about this story that that compelled you to tell it? It's mine. Um, no, seriously, you get story ideas. Uh, for example, have you heard of iZombie, the TV show? Yes. Have you read iZombie, the comic? I have not. Okay, so Michael probably has. Michael, have you? Yeah, I've read the first trade, and I think okay. I know maybe where Sean's going, but please go. So iZombie, the comic, and iZombie, the TV show are, are basically completely different things. I'm, I'm not actually sure how one is an adaptation of the other. Um, but in iZombie, the TV show, our main character is working as a, uh, a pathologist's assistant. I believe, is it set in Seattle? That, sound, that sounds correct, yeah. Okay, so I think, I, I, don't, I don't watch iZombie, the TV show. I liked the comic too much. But it's, it's set in a city area. Um, and she has to eat brains or she gets kind of feral and that is bad because then you're eating people, right? Right. Um, well, there's a, a novel series by Diana Rowland, which mm -hmm. is about a girl named Angel who is a zombie who works as a pathologist assistant in a city lab and she has to eat brains or else she goes kind of feral. Hmm. Um, and at one time, if you had said, okay, Sean, and I want to look through your big file of books I intend to write, TM, uh, you would have found the outline for a series that started with a book called Deathless that was about a zombie who worked as a lab assistant <laughs> for a pathologist in Seattle. Now, the actual execution of that series is very different than either version of iZombie, and I do actually regret that I will probably never write it, uh, but by the time a spot cleared up on my schedule and I could have started working on it, enough other people had entered that basic space that there would be no way 
people would actually believe the story wasn't derivative. Mm -hmm. I could show all the proof and paperwork in the world and they would still go, yeah, yeah, you're ripping off Diana Rowland, you're ripping off iZombie. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was in high school, because I've been writing books since high school and they were very terrible and we should all be glad that no one will ever see them. (laughs) But when I was in high school, I had a book on the list of books I planned to write called uh, To Grandmother's House We Go, which was just the most revolutionary thing anyone had ever thought of. Oh my God, no one else will ever have this idea ever. (laughs) Of course you were in high school. Of course it was. Because I'm a genius. That's right. And um, it it was a Little Red Riding Hood story, only Little Red Riding Hood was a werewolf. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Right? So, and that's normal. It is normal that multiple people will have the same idea because we're all kind of standing in the same cultural zeitgeist. We're all standing in the same story space. But that means that, especially if you're working on a book today and thinking, well, what am I going to write tomorrow? That there's always a non-zero chance that any story that you want to tell someone else may have told already and possibly better than you before you can get to it. Now that doesn't mean you have to throw everything out that feels even a little bit derivative. You, you, you do you like you and I could literally take the same story summary and go home and write the stories. And what we would turn out would be completely different. Absolutely. But sometimes when I'm looking at the lists, if I look at it and go, Oh, 12 other people have entered this space since I thought this was a good idea. I'll go, you know what? There's, there's this other story that no one else has written yet that I could still say something completely new in that space. I could be, I could be surprising in that space. Hmm. I'm going to go to the space where I get to be a surprise. And that's what middle game is. Yeah, that's what middle game is. It is it is a strange enough story that anybody else that had an idea like it kind of went, you know what? Uh, no. <laughs> and went off to write something that made more sense. That's badass. That's awesome. And and a great affirmation of of you know, I can I can see as a part of, you know, those writerly benchmarks or or thresholds that you make your way through finding that story that is utterly and uniquely you being on that list and and something that is very difficult to do when you're early in your career we'll be back with more of our conversation with sean and mcguire after this brief promotional break if you're a storyteller you need to check out archivos a new story mapping and development tool from WonderThink Studios. Archivos provides storytellers with a unique opportunity, the chance to actually see the network of interaction between the story elements of their settings. Through Archivos's interactive narrative maps, storytellers can discover and explore the patterns and structures that illuminate their stories. Archivos even allows you to share those maps with your readers, providing an utterly unique and compelling format for fan engagement. Archivos really is the story mapping and development tool for today's storytellers. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos, your stories illuminated. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Seanan McGuire. I'm, I have other questions, of course, but I know Michael does too. Michael, what, what, uh, what, what do you have for Seanan? 
Uh, so I've got kind of two, one that's much more hands-on and one that's much more heady. So I think I'll go in that order. Um, if I'm correct, um, based on kind of following how you how your workflow operates, you're often working on two projects pretty actively at the same time. And that's something I've had a lot of trouble with, especially this year. So I'd love to hear um, some of how you do that in any ways that you've maybe talked to other people about balancing projects that has been effective for them or that you think might be effective for myself and other listeners. Well, I treat it like I'm watching two different TV shows. You know, can you watch two different shows and keep track of what's going on with the plots at the same time? Uh, I can, but I'm much more involved in my own writing. <laughs> right. But what I mean is you can remember what's happening on the shows. You can kind of follow from episode to episode. Um, and that's kind of, of how I deal with working on multiple projects at the same time. And it is something that, that has worked for other people, if you can kind of think of it that way. Uh, is just change the channel in your brain. Obviously, you're going to be more involved in your own writing. You should be. Uh, even when you're fanficking, you're not creating the original material of the show. You're more of an observer. But keeping everything straight is still a challenge. It's still something that you have to work to do, that you have to kind of focus on to achieve. Um, so I, I am usually working on multiple projects. If I wasn't, I could never hit my due dates. And I will work on project one, you know, for however much of the morning I have to, uh, and then get up, go do something, you know, get lunch, make sure that the cats have been fed, uh, play Overwatch. I play a lot of Overwatch. I play an unhealthy <laughs> amount of Overwatch, uh, but play Overwatch for a couple of rounds and then come back and change the channel. Just open up the new file, go to wherever I've got to go, and, and tell myself, you know, Criminal Minds is over for the week. Uh, we can't actually keep watching the show we've been watching all morning because that's, that's over for right now. It's time to focus on this other thing. It's not necessarily innate. It can take some work. It took me some time to be able to, uh, to switch immediately. Um, and I, I really did have to work to learn it because you are so much more productive uh, one thing I have found, at least for me, and I know it's it's been true for some others, but I'm not saying, oh, this is this is magic and it will absolutely be the case for you. <laughs> if I can do X many words a day when working on a single project, frequently, if I have the time to keep working, that's not I can do X many words before I have to be in bed and the day is over. Um, if I can switch projects successfully, that counter resets. So I don't necessarily do double X words per day, but I can do X on project one, take my break, change the channel, and then maybe do half as much, but still a hell of a lot more than I would have done if I had just stayed on a single project for the whole day. So the fatigue factor for working on the same project is diminished because you're actually dividing your attention to through two different passions. Exactly. Okay. And, you know, that... It seems like it would slow you down, that, that you would finish everything, you know, at a slower clip because you're splitting that attention. But if you're cutting your fatigue factor because you're letting your brain focus on and engage with something new, you're actually working faster on both projects. Michael, let me let me ask you just real quick, because that's an intriguing question. I think it's very relevant for writers who are feeling the backlog of stories in the back of their brain going, please, God, give me a way to write more. 
Um, is is the problem that you're having a, a question of maintaining intellectual continuity across multiple uh, stories, or is it the emotional investment that you find difficult switching between? Uh, for me, it's more of a question that uh, around uh, around this time last year, I lost permanent willpower points due to the world, um, <laughs> and that. it's been very hard to to keep enough energy in any given day to get all of my base requirements for kind of day job and um, my normal relationships and kind of staying functional as a, as a human and getting as much writing done as even in two years previous. Um, so it's a it's a question of efficiency of scale with the the mental with the mental and emotional time and attention that I do have. And I think because of where my writing background comes from through gaming and performance, that there is that the kind of the emotional aspect is very present in the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, technique is, of course, incredibly relevant and everyone is, is different. Um, but there is a there's a finite emotional resource that I feel depleting. Uh, in one work, and then it's harder to convert to another. But I love the the way that you framed this, Sean, and kind of with a couple of kind of intellectual apparatuses and uh, mental um, kind of set of specs to put on, which I'm eager to try. A uh, question for you: Do you are you a pager or a word counter? I mean, what is when you're setting a goal for the day? How are you doing that? Uh, it's usually by word count, and then sometimes it has to be by amount of time that I have. Mm-hmm. So when you're working by word count, um, this is this is a weird trick that I was a little dubious about when I decided to, to try it, but I needed something. Um, have you tried using dice? <laughs> no, uh, no, seriously. To, to, set, to set word count? Yeah, uh, so I, um, I do my day in increments of a thousand words. Mm-hmm. So I, it's not right a thousand a day, but it's this is how many, and we break it into increments of a thousand. Um, and that's partially so that my willpower doesn't give out and I don't just go, you know what? I would rather watch Law and Order S for you for six hours. So screw y'all. <laughs> um, but every thousand words I'm allowed to, to kind of pause and reassess and, and take a break if necessary. Um, and what I'll do is I'll put a D10 on the corner of my keyboard. Just start out with it set to zero and start working. And any time that I need to pause for whatever reason, I've got to go to the bathroom, the cat has knocked something over, I just need to stop and think, I will change the D10 to reflect how many words are left in that thousand. So like right now, my D10 says eight, I have to write 800 more words before the current thousand is done. And what I have found coming from a gaming background and and having that focus on dice that we all kind of pick up whether we mean to or not, is it has made me more focused at finishing out the thousand. Even if I feel like my Yeah, even if I feel like my willpower is giving out and I'm I'm just I'm hitting the law and order stage, if I look at the die and it still says eight, sometimes the sheer number to beat the GM kicks in. And that will help power me through. So given your gaming background, it might be worth trying. Yeah, I I like those kinds of ideas. So the if I if it's if there's still time, Dave, I'd love to ask uh, the Please, other one. Please, I absolutely yield the floor, man. Carry on. Yeah. So and this this you know if it's not something you're interested in, then pass and we'll move on. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about ways that specifically kind of a, an Anglophone Western narrative um, tradition centers violent adversarial conflict as like the thing that's important in drama, mm-hmm. um, and 
trying to negotiate my relationship to that between kind of commerciality and what I want from my fiction and for the world. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, that the notion of that primacy within the narrative tradition and how you've addressed that in your own work. So we're going to innately be approaching that from slightly different perspectives um, because I am working as a female writer in the modern literary setting and you are working as a male writer in the modern mm-hmm. literary setting. And the reason that that actually matters, even though it shouldn't, like I, I hate it when this sort of thing does matter, um, is if, again, if you and I wrote the exact same book with the exact same amount of violence and romance, uh, the odds are good that my book would actually get filed in paranormal romance while yours got treated as straight up urban fantasy or adventure. Regardless of the content. Regardless yeah, of the content. I'd agree. Um, that is, unf- I, this is not me being oversensitive. This is unfortunately a fact of where we live. Legit. Um, so you could decide, and I, I speak to both of you when I say this, you could decide that you were going to write the grand sweeping epic science fiction romance of our times and you would probably get hailed, assuming that you did it with the skill I know both of you are capable of, for reinvigorating the genre. And look at these magical, marvelous things that you've done that no one has thought of. Um, meanwhile, women who have been writing those exact same things for years are getting left out of the conversation. And if I wrote the same book, it would be panned as female wish fulfillment fantasy. And my main character would probably get dismissed as a Mary Sue. So my relationship to the pressure for violence in writing is also informed by the need to not be dismissed as just another female writer writing romance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong with romance. I love romance. I read romance. I put myself through college writing Harlequin romances. But I don't want my work to get dismissed because of people's assumptions about what my gender means for my place in genre. Well, and what romance means in the context of story as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it offends me, honestly, that assumed male writers can have romantic subplots and still be writing action adventure. But if I have the same degree of romance, I am writing romance. And that is nothing on the story that is entirely on assumptions about the author. So to get back to the question, I agree that, that the whole pressure for violence and having to have that conflict it is frustrating as all hell because uh, sometimes i don't want to sometimes i'm like i don't want a boss fight i want to actually deal with this with problem solving uh this is a book about time traveling al- alchemical chess superheroes could i maybe not punch anybody and the market <laughs> drives a lot of no you have to punch people no you you have to include this I haven't found a good solution for it yet. I think that the, really the main solution is to keep doing what I am seeing more and more people doing and writing stories that are outside of that violent framework. But it's not a quick change. And I think we need to make that change because stories do tell us who to be and how to behave to such a strong degree. Mm-hmm. You know, whether whether we want to acknowledge that fact or not, even when we want to go, oh, it's just a story. How stupid do you think I am? I'm like, I spent an entire summer trying to figure out how to live in a tree because I had read Clan of the Cave Bear too many times. <laughs> 
and acquired valuable skills in the process. I did, actually. I um, I was one of the best sling fighters in the West Kingdom for quite some time in the SCA because I had spent an entire summer uh, outside learning how to make my own slings and how to knock squirrels out of trees with them. <laughs> Well, so so your 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 recommendation then, Seanan, is to 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 blaze forth uh, in spite of the market uh, uh, to yes. actually carve a niche uh, uh, against the brick wall of of financial success uh, in the hopes that a new rivulet of interest will start to flow. To a certain degree, yeah, uh, you have to keep focusing on what will pay your bills, especially as a working writer. I'm I'm never going to be the one that says, follow your art so completely that you can't afford to eat. I like eating. <laughs> and more importantly, my cats like eating and they will eat me. But even as you are working, you know, to make a living, you're, you're focusing on your craft as much as on your art because the two things are not always the same. Uh, there is room to focus on, okay, I've I've sold my novel for the year, I've paid my bills, what can I do in short stories? Where can I go to show people what it looks like when I write the nonviolent solution, hmm. um, when, I, when I tell the story that stretches that a bit? Because as you start to get a reputation for those stories, that's what editors will start asking you for, and those can become a large part of what lets you pay the bills. That's awesome. Michael, I'm, I'm curious, what's your, I, I know this is something that you have given a great deal of thought to. What's mm-hmm. your perspective on on that conundrum that, that writers, especially writers today, I think, find themselves in? Yeah, because it, it's it's something that I've I've been trying to balance. Like the space, space opera that I'm working on, I started as, you know, I want to write the most unrestrained, self-indulgent action adventure, you know, pew, pew, jump, kaboom, um, (laughs) smooch, like all of the things I want from a big, fun, silly space adventure. And even as I'm writing it, I'm finding my kind of the things that I have to say about the world creeping in. I'm kind of reconsidering to what degree I want to use different storytelling tools. And the, the project that I most want to write after that is a basically no combat utopian socialist romantic comedy series i love you <laughs> because i want i want to take all of the fun that people have reading like coffee shop au's and so many of the threads and tail types in fanfic that are just this story will you know you wrap yourself up in a glorious blanket of nice people overcoming things and getting to be happy together and this is not just in fanfic it's all throughout a lot of different um, categories of romance Mm -hmm. i've been reading a lot of contemporary romance most specifically and like i want to get to that place and i know that i have to learn more about romance as a genre and learn the skills because the level of interpersonal characterization required to be able to cross the bar for romance readers to like show up as a competent romance is incredibly high and like women who read romance have been saying this forever um but and and they've been right the entire time but maybe there are people who will listen to men more frequently when men say like no seriously like go read romance because it will teach you all these things we're just repeating what women have been saying the whole time and it's completely (laughs) true um but society uh so that's where i want to get because i want to be able to make a good chunk of space in my writing to tell stories in that way which i can then balance with my inclination toward you know i have 
here's all this time I've spent studying martial arts and I have this love of action adventure and, you know, growing up on Star Wars and the Princess Bride, like seeing seeing the sword fight and having the big emotion of shouting at the other person or shouting because you're trying to save somebody so that I can live in both of those spaces and in action adventure make space for less violent um, Hegelian dialectic and get myself to the point where I can tell stories more effectively without it always already needing to be about explosions and fights and um, blasters. As, as you always do, Michael, you are striving to expand your your tool set, your, your craft, your ability. Uh, that's That's been a hallmark of your career uh, since you stepped into the arena. So I, I have I have no doubt you will you will cross that line. Guys, I, I hate to do this. I genuinely do because uh, this has been delightful and informative, but the, our, our time has run out. Uh, uh, and this is this is a, a, a point of disappointment I'm going to have to get over uh, after we after we sign off. But we'll, we'll we'll soldier through at this point. Sean and McGuire, thank you so much. That was uh, an incredible conversation. And I deeply appreciate you taking the time, ma'am. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Michael, there was there was mojo. There was there was genuine uh, uh, writerly uh, power crystals being distributed uh, over the course of that last, eh, let's say, half hour or so. Um, what are you what are you picking up and, and taking with you? Uh, I think the first thing for me is is that I'm looking at my desk trying to figure out where the nearest D10 is <laughs> yes. uh, so that I can put I can put it uh, right next to my laptop before I forget. But I have written this all down. Um, and I think the other thing for me is just it's really cool to get other writers ways that they frame the same topic and discussion that, you know, you can act like if you go to learn salsa dancing from 10 different instructors, there'll there'll be 10 different first hours of salsa dancing. And I've, this is something I've learned as a, as a tango dancer, <laughs> you can learn so much by asking experts to tell you about basics and that Very to, true. to go like, uh, this is something that my my tang- my main tango teacher would say is like beginning dancers take intermediate classes, intermediate dancers take advanced classes, and expert dancers take beginning classes because you can't do anything without fundamentals. And learning different ways that different people frame the same topics is a great way I've found in being able to get past any blockages that you have or then adding to your own tool set that you can share and pass on to other people. Like, oh, well, I learned this from this writer and and she explained it this way and maybe that will be helpful for you. And that's, I think, really invaluable. See, and, and you've basically encompassed the whole raison d'etre for Archivos Insights uh, with that exploration. So, so Sean, and you've actually embodied our, our, our true heart uh, uh, through that conversation. I couldn't agree more, Michael. Uh, uh, and, and finding those uh, core bits from all different perspectives is like a sonar. It allows you to identify your position within all of those ideologies and must-haves and gotta-dos and essential foundational concepts. And you can find your own place in there, which kind of speaks to what really stood out for me in this one is the idea that there is a story that only you can tell. And and not that no one else could, uh, but that it's your story, that it's your story to, to be uh, uh, and your story to write. And that... 
that has that smacks of this this wonderful you know life quest this this vision quest of seeking out that story that is uniquely yours which is of course a moving target because as you go through life who you are what you can do what you want to do evolves and changes but god the the, the notion that you should keep looking for that just just really is thrumming through my veins as we speak awesome <laughs> stuff Friends, I'm, I'm sure you are also thrumming, that's the word of the day apparently, um, with, with inspiration and delight uh, and, and scribbling and all of that. Here's the fabulous thing about the Archivos Podcast Network. As awesome as that was, if you come back in seven days, we'll bring Seanan back. We're going to bring Michael back. I'll be here. It's my show. You can't get rid of me. Uh, and then we'll add a, a fabulous, brave and courageous, creative and courageous guest writer to add a story pitch that we will then brainstorm. And I, I am anticipating that the earth shall move, uh, uh, the potosphere will quake, and, and the pillars of heaven will shake. Uh, if nothing else, it's gonna be a grand old time. Seven days, that's a long, long time away. Michael, I don't know, can, can, do you have any suggestions for what our listeners might be able to do between now and seven days from now to keep them focused and occupied? Sit down at your, de- at your desk, grab whatever tools you use to write, roll for initiative, and go. <laughs> indeed, <laughs> indeed. And whatever you roll, go. Absolutely, absolutely. And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for the wow. Look for the holy crap. Uh, look for the I did not expect that. And I promise you, friends, if you go out looking for that stuff, you will find it. We'll be back in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of Archivos Insights is copyright 2017 by WonderThink Studios and is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike 4.0 International License. To find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations, visit www.creativecommons.org. Theme music for this episode of Archivos Insights was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, Visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash archivospodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at podcast at archivos.digital. Thanks for listening.